So over the last few weeks, we have been going through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, expositional preaching. And last week, we finished the first section of chapter 1 till verse 14. And verses 3 to verse 14, as we have seen, is a, a song of praise, of adoration, which Paul blesses God for who He is and for what He has done for us. But now, in verses 15 to 23, the remainder of this chapter makes up a single prayer, a prayer of intercession. And a good way to describe this section is from praise to prayer, from praise to prayer. And in this prayer, Paul now prays that these believers will share in his experience. Um, interesting, much of this prayer is a prayer that, that God would bring about in us a realization of all of the things that, that we have just praised Him for in verse 1 to verse 14. But the title of my sermon today is Knowing God, and our scripture will be from verse 15 to 17, but we will be reading from verse 15 to verse 23. Please stand with me out of respect for God's Word as I read this portion of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 23. For this reason, all of the reasons Paul has mentioned in verse 1 to 14, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might." That he worked in us, that he was sorry, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and a power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you, Lord, would teach us, and Lord, that you would fill our heart with praise today as we reflect on your goodness to us. Father, may we be not just the hearers of your word, but the doers of well. We pray, Lord, that these, these words, Lord, would help us to experience you in a, in a fuller way today, and that, Lord, you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to, to respond, Lord in a way that brings glory to your name. So we pray for your help today, Lord. We ask your spirit to teach us for your glory, Lord, we ask in his precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So one of the greatest joys of my life is being a father to my, my three children. And before I, I got married... I would wonder what it would be like uh, being a father. I would talk to fathers that I knew. I would read books 
about parenting and I would get all the advice that I possibly could about being a father, um, trying to understand what it would be like. Uh, but nothing really prepared me for the, the actual day when I, I held my children in my arms when, when they were born for the first time and to experience that joy of actually being a father. And by God's grace, now that I am a father, I'm able to understand and appreciate all the responsibilities and the joys of, of being a father so much better than the, the books described or that the books were trying to explain. It's great to read books. It's great to, to get advice. But the experience is so much better than any documentary or any seminar that you may attend. And this is what Paul will be teaching us today. An academic knowledge or theology or understanding about God is not the same as an experiential knowledge of God. And Paul's desire was that these believers would know God. And this is the overriding theme of his prayer. Knowing God is the Christian's purpose for our existence, is the church's purpose for our existence. My first point this, morning, this afternoon is in verse 15. We see Paul's commendation. First of all, here in verse 15, notice how the apostle, he praises the Ephesians for, for their faith as well as their, their love. Those two words are mentioned there. And these two qualities in the lives of the Ephesians cause Paul's heart to, um, to brim in joy and gladness as he, as he hears of their work. See there in verse 15, listen to what, what Paul has to say. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you for this reason. Notice the first words he starts with there. Um, another uh, version says, on account of what has gone before, for this reason. So what has gone before? What has gone before? He's referring to all the, the wonderful theology that he has already shared with us. He's talking about their adoption in Christ, their predestination in Christ. For this reason, on account of what has all gone before, because they are in Christ, because they have been chosen in Christ, because they have been sealed by the, the Holy Spirit, because of the work of the, the gospel in their lives, he now has heard of their faith. And they love. Because of the work of the gospel in their lives, he has heard of their faith and their love. And Paul is grateful for this evidence of the gospel. Paul is grateful for this evidence of God's grace that is in their lives. Remember the Apostle Paul, at the time of him writing this, he is in prison, in a prison in Rome. He's many miles away from the Ephesian Christians and those in the surrounding regions near them. And yet he's, he's, he's getting, he's hearing these reports about the Ephesian Christians, the Ephesian church. And no doubt people are, are traveling to him and people are obviously going to Rome for, for commerce and other reasons. And occasionally he gets reports of, of how the church is doing, the church that he planted, the church that he hasn't seen for, for probably three years, he's hearing these wonderful reports. He loved this congregation. 
And the reports he's getting is causing his heart to overflow with gratitude and joy and thanksgiving as well as praise. And what is it that gets him excited? Notice there, is he getting reports that the church at Ephesus is the largest church in the region? Is he getting reports that this church is the fastest growing church in the region? That is that its community status and the influence is far beyond anyone else in the region? Is he getting reports that this church programs and its, its budget size are the, the largest in the area? No. No, none of these move Paul to praise. The church programs and the budget size are all important. I'm not saying that they're not important, but... But what he hears is that the Christians are displaying faith and love, and this thrills his soul. This thrills his soul, and he gives thanks to God. And that's what grips the apostle's heart here. This is what moves him to gratitude, that faith and love have really been rooted here in the lives of this congregation and and are being displayed in the lives of the, the members of this congregation. There is real evidence of grace here in the church at Ephesus. And those saved to know God are characterized by the love of God and by their love for the church. In fact, Apostle John, talking about the church, he says in John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Talking about the church. It is this love of all the saints that proves one's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't have love for one another. It has been well said that it is impossible to be in Christ and not to find oneself drawn both to Him in trust and to his people in love. To his people in love. These believers loved the saints. These believers loved the saints. And remember, this was peculiar, okay? This church was made up of Jew as well as Gentile. There was, there was huge problems there with prejudice. But this church, whether they were Jew or Gentile, whether they were male or female, whether they were wealthy or whether they were poor, whether they were free or whether they were, were bond servants, this church loved each other. They loved each other. And this was proof that they were indeed God's children. Now, Paul Washer, in his book, Gospel Assurance and Warnings, which I recommend, um, a wonderful book, about how we can know for sure whether we are truly in the faith. He, he says in this book, the virtue of love must be found in us and manifested in our deeds before we dare assure our hearts that we have come to know Him. It was the report of the presence of obedient faith and non-discriminatory love that caused Paul to be thankful for this church. And he wanted them to know this. This is a strong statement. He says in verse 16 that he does not cease to give thanks for them. 
Paul was constantly, consistently grateful to know that the church indeed were filled with genuine believers. This was a remarkable statement when you consider that at the time he was under house arrest. He was in jail. The reports of their, their Christ-centered, faithful love for each other was a source of great joy to him in his time of trial. They were evidence of the reality of what he had just praised God for. The church was a source of persevering joy to the Apostle Paul. And the question I want to ask you today, is the church, is New Life Church, a source of persevering joy for you? Soon we will be having get-to-know classes for those who are, who are not members of New Life Church. And we're very strong on membership at New Life Church. And we encourage you to be a part of New Life Church. Come to these classes to get to know us and to get to know about New Life Church and, and join with us in this journey of faith. Make sure that the church that you align yourself with is a source of persevering joy. There's an old story about a pastor who was working the grill or the barbecue at the annual church cookout when, when one of his parishioners who had not attended Sunday service in a while came up and, and started talking with the pastor. And as he listened to his parishioner explain that he did not need the church to, to be a Christian, the pastor used his tongs to move one hot coal away from the, the pile of, of burning charcoal. And soon the, the lone coal grew cold and it, it stopped glowing. And the pastor used it as a, as a visual illustration of how this member's love for Jesus would also cease to burn brightly if he did not stop isolating himself from the, the body of Christ. And separation from fellowship with other believers will cause our love for Christ to burn less brightly and result in a less fruitful walk with the Lord. But our affection will be even colder if we separate ourselves from Jesus himself. And the Apostle John, he tells us this in, in John chapter 15, that, that our Savior is, is what? He is the vine. And those who profess his name are the, are the branches from the vine. And just as branches that are, that are cut off from the vine, they will not produce grapes, those who separate from Christ will fail to produce spiritual fruit. And Hebrews 10 tells us that to remain in Christ requires regular fellowship with other believers. The Lord works through the encouragement and the, the admonition of others to prune away the, the, the dead growth in our lives and, and make us more fruitful servants for God's glory. You know, in our own strength, we can only do so much. In our own strength, we cannot make ourselves joyful. So we must abide in Christ and rely on His power. And when we do this, joy will increase within us like it did with the Apostle Paul. Like it did with the Apostle Paul. And we will find ourselves more readily rejoicing in our difficult circumstances. Look at verse 16. My second point, we see Paul's gratitude. And notice there, the Apostle Paul thanks God for the church. And he says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and having heard your love for the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. 
Now, to whom does he give thanks here? He doesn't give thanks to the Ephesian Christians. He gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God. And Paul thanks God for the Ephesian Christians for their faith and love. And now, isn't that striking? Paul would have no reason to thank God for the Ephesians' faith and love unless these qualities come from God himself, isn't it? God's the one who gave them the faith. God's the one who, who purposed in their hearts to love. And here again, I think Paul's understanding of the sovereignty of God is really is producing this joy, this joy that he is praising the Lord for. You know, if people's faith and, and love comes from themselves, then the praise for it should not be given to God, isn't it? Because God did not have anything to do with this. The people should get all the glory. But as we have seen, this, this robs God of all the glory that He deserves in our salvation. So if faith and love come from God, we should thank Him in our prayers for all these things. And we can commend those who are walking in faith and love, nothing wrong with that. But we must be quick to divert all the praise and glory to God alone. Because if we were left to ourselves, we would never be inclined to faith and love. And since all spiritual blessings come from God, we must continually pray with gratitude for, for all of the saints when we see them walking with God. Augustine, the early church father, he once said, Lord, the good in me is due to you. The rest is my fault. The good in me is due to you. The rest is my fault. And that's exactly, I think, the opinion of the apostle Paul. The good in us is due to, to God. The rest is our fault. So that, you know, whenever we see the evidence of grace, we trace that evidence, we trace that path right back to the, to the giver of this grace. And we give praise to Him. We give praise to Him. We give thanks to God. He gets all the, the credit for all the good things that, that we do. Now, it's been encouraging to hear of people who have responded to our needs for, for volunteers in our different ministries lately. Now, people have put up their hands to serve in the children's ministry and, and the care team as well as the youth. But, but I want to encourage you in the days to come to give, to give God all the glory for your service to Him. In whichever ministry that you serve, our goal should never be to draw attention to ourselves. We don't want any of the credit or we don't want any of the praise. We want it to be, we want to be there rolling up our, our sleeves and, and working and giving and giving and giving and still we want God to get all the praise. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. He sees faith and love. And that is evident. And he's so thankful and he's encouraged by it. But what does he do? He gives all the praise and he gives all the glory to God. And that's how we want to do it as well. And, but Paul doesn't stop here. Paul doesn't stop here. As we are grateful for one another, we need to be prayerful for one another as well. We see in verse 17, Paul's petition, Paul's prayer, his request. 
And Paul moves from thanksgiving to, to a prayer of petition. He thanks God in verse 16, and then he makes a request here in verse 17. And what is the request? Look there in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So the Apostle Paul prays that, that these Christians, remember the ones at Ephesus that he's, just, that he's just spoken so fondly of, these Christians whom he has already indicated are sealed by the, the Holy Spirit, these Christians already who, who are walking in communion with, with the Lord, you know, these Christians who appreciate the, the sovereignty of God, these Christians who have been adopted and redeemed by God Himself, He's praying that these Christians, that God would give them a better knowledge of Himself. Notice the word knowledge there in verse 17. Normally the word knowledge comes from the Greek word gnosis, gnosis, spelled with a G, G-N-O-S-I-S. That's where we get our, our English word Gnosticism from or, or Gnostic from. But here knowledge is used in this text. The, the word knowledge that's used here in, in this text is the, is the Greek word epinosis. Epinosis. This is a presupposition that's been added to the word. So Paul's intensifying this, this word here. And what he's saying is not he, what he's asking for is not just knowledge. He's asking for a for a thorough knowledge. Paul is asking for a for a deeper fuller knowledge of God for these Christians. And Paul wants these believers to have this thorough knowledge of God. Now, of course, when we are saved, we know who God is. We come to know who God is. We, we have to have an understanding of the gospel. We have to have an understanding of the, the creator, the one who is holy. Obviously, we need to know these, we know, we need to know these facts. But now... Paul's praying for a deeper experiential knowledge of God, which will continue until they get to heaven, until they know God perfectly. In speaking about, about Christ's coming and the eternal state, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, he says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. So when we are in heaven, in other words, we will have complete knowledge, perfect knowledge. For now, we, we look dimly like in a mirror that's, that's, that's dimmed and aged. But when we get to heaven, we will have intimate knowledge of God, which is, which is currently unavailable for us, unattainable for us. However, this should be our goal while we are still on this earth. And Paul says in Philippians 3, and we studied this passage, and I preached a, I preached a sermon called Knowing Christ from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And Paul says in Philippians 3, 10, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Even though the believers in the Ephesian church were already walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they had this love for one another, Paul is praying for more. Paul is praying for more. 
And he prays that God would give them what? A spirit of wisdom in the revelation, in the knowledge of him. Next week, we'll look at verse 18 to 19. But he, he asked God to open the eyes of their hearts so they would know. Look at verse 18. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? I think the, the obvious application for us here is that it's not enough to pray for your loved ones that they come to faith in Christ. And, and we must do that, yes? We pray for that, but don't stop there. Once they're saved, there's more. Pray that they would come to know God more deeply. Pray this prayer of Paul for other believers. And pray this prayer for yourself. Pray this prayer for spiritual maturity. You know, if we're complacent in our, in our Christian walk, if we're content where we're at, we're in spiritual danger. There is always more of God to know. There's always more of God to experience. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints is, is, is basic, yes. So, but pray for these qualities. Pray for a deeper knowledge of God. It's what, the Paul was, it's what the Apostle Paul was concerned about here. He thanks God for the, the spiritual blessings which, which have been heaped on everyone who is in Jesus Christ. But then, then he turns around and he, and he asks for all those to truly know God, that they would know Him even better. And that's so important. And I hope that's why you're here tonight, this afternoon. Because you want to know God better. You don't just want to go through the, the rituals and the routine and, and tick off the box and, and, and let the, the elders see that you've come to church. None of us would ever know too much about God. None of us in this life will ever know enough about God. And the more we know of Him, the more we will love Him. The more we will praise Him. And the more we will be like Him. And do we not all feel the need to be more like Jesus? To love the things that, that Jesus loves? To detest the things that, that He detests? To bear witness of Him in word and life? And how do we know these things? From His revealed word, folks. From His revealed word. This is how we know God better. We don't have to know God better by, by taking some form of medication by, by, by dancing around in circles, by jumping up and down and, and laughing like a lunatic. That's not how we know God better. It's by reading His Word, by the Word that He's given to us, by obeying His Word, asking the Holy Spirit to help us apply His Word. You've probably heard me say a few times from this pulpit that you need to join a home group during, during the week. You've probably heard that a few times, I'm sure. Where we study the Word of God, where we meditate on it and we go deeper. You've probably heard us say time and time again to, to join a, a book study where we, where we dig deeper into different truths from different, different portions of Scripture, different topical portions of Scripture. And today after church, we're having our, our family Bible hour where we 
have been encouraging you to join us for more Bible study. And maybe you've asked yourself, what is the need for, for all of these Bible studies? Why do the elders keep pushing us to be involved in these extra Bible studies? Why all of these Bible conferences that they keep on telling us we need to go to? Isn't one hour enough on a Sunday afternoon? I mean, pastor preaches for almost an hour. Isn't that enough? Why are the elders so insistent about teaching at New Life Church? Why do we do it every chance that we can? Well, let me tell you why we don't do it. Not because we want to fill your head with, with stuff so that you can be smarter than, than other people. We study God's truths because God has given us His truth so that we might know Him and so that we will be transformed by knowing Him. And the truth of God is, is given so that we might know God and then be changed by Him in, in the way that we relate to one another. I mean, how often have you heard us pray, Lord, help us not just to be the hearers of your word, but the doers of your word. We don't just want to accumulate academic theological knowledge in our brain. We want it to relate to change. We want it to relate to change. The way we, we love each other, the way we love the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says that all those who know God need to know Him better. They need to know more fully and comprehend and, and understand and appreciate and experience the greatness of his, of his love. And so he prays for these Ephesian believers. His prayer is that they would, by God's Holy Spirit, increase in the knowledge of God. Because increasing in the knowledge of God means we get to experience Him. Because we get to understand Him better through His Word, through His revealed Word. We understand what He has done for us. And we love His grace even more. And we're more thankful for what He has done. Knowing about God is one thing. But knowing God is often quite completely different. And both are essential, but don't stop with the first one. Let me ask you, is your knowledge of God just theoretical, academic, or is it experiential? Are you applying what you are learning into your life? The psalmist, he, he tells us in Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you lost your taste, sense during COVID? I think there's a few here. I mean, the food was terrible, wasn't it? Food was terrible. I never enjoyed food during COVID. I mean, you can understand what the psalmist is saying here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of us are, are living a spiritual COVID life at the moment? Just going through life without having any taste or any desire for the Lord. Jonathan Edwards once said, There is a world of difference between describing the taste of honey and actually tasting it. You know, too many of us have, have just read the label telling us about God without the experience of His sweetness that is added to the flavor of our lives. The amazing thing is that this 
experiential knowledge of God is closer than we usually think. And again, I'm not talking about a mystical Christianity here, folks. I'm not talking about a, a second Holy Spirit baptism where you get to know God better. That is not what the Bible teaches. It's knowing Christ better through the revealed word that God has given to us, not through some, some other experience. The Holy Spirit points us to truth. He doesn't point us to, to nonsense. He doesn't ever at any point contradict His word. The word, the truth will set us free. And because we have the Holy Spirit within us, who is our teacher, He leads us into all truth through the word. The Holy Spirit within us, the experience of the full knowledge of God is ours. If we are willing to be obedient to His Word, if we're willing to submit to His Word, if we're willing to study His Word. Psalm 119 needs to be our prayer for ourselves and for each other. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Let me conclude this tonight. You know, all of my, my children surprisingly enjoy history. Maybe you're a history buff and you have read a lot about King Charles. You know, many detailed facts about the man's life and his kingdom. But I doubt you've ever met him. You don't know him personally. And knowing him personally involves knowing many facts about him. But it involves more than that. Personal knowledge involves a relationship, isn't it? It requires time spent together. And Paul is not praying for an academic knowledge of theology about God, although that is necessary in the process of, of knowing God. Rather, he is, he is praying for a personal, experiential knowledge of God himself through Jesus Christ, who is the only way to know the Father. Now, are you growing to know God personally through Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit reveals Him to you through His Word. You're spending time with God in His Word, a priority to you. You're spending time with God in His Word, important to you. Are you praying? Is knowing God your supreme pursuit? The quest of your life should be to know Him more and more. And with Paul, you should be able to say, like he said in Philippians 3, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. May that be our prayer for each other, and for ourselves, for the rest of this year. Amen. Father, again, we thank you for your, your, your word, your revealed word that you have given to us, that we have been able to open and handle and explain and hear. But Lord, I do pray tonight that you will not allow us to be just the hearers of your word. Lord, that your spirit, Lord, would work in us to be your doers of your word.
this week. That we would apply these truths that we are learning. That we would love like Jesus loved. That we would love each other more. That we would love you more. That we would fall in love with you more. Because of these wonderful truths that we have been able to understand. I do pray, Lord, take your word tonight. Apply it to us for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. 